What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, celebrating a one-year anniversary of a new back. It was one year ago today, had back surgery. But I still did my radio shows, did them all, never missed a one, and will not miss one tonight. Looking forward to being with you tonight. We have got a lot for you. We're going to have a little Coach Cully audio jukebox a little bit later in the show. We're also going to hear from D.P. Sidhu, who caught up with Jim Wyatt. It is Tennessee Titans week, and when we go behind enemy sidelines, Jim Wyatt, senior writer for Titans.com, he's a longtime writer there in Nashville, moved over to the team side a few years ago, and he's fantastic, and he will give us the skinny on the number one team in the AFC. Yes, the number one team in the AFC is the Tennessee Titans, and I want to throw up in my mouth. But it's true. It's very true. And here's the sad thing. I like to watch that team play. I really do. Because for years, uh, last two, three years, that defense was garbage. I mean, defense was garbage. But they drafted to Jeffrey Simmons when some people thought maybe he shouldn't go in the first round after an ACL tear and some off-the-field issues. They brought in Kevin Bayard a few years ago. They hit on Harold Landry, finally. They brought in Bud Dupree. I think one of the more underrated signings was Danico Autry. And they've all kind of pulled that together, and that defense has really started to play some good ball coached by Shane Bowen, who was a defensive assistant with your Houston Texans a few years ago. Great dude, great coach. Uh, I wish them all luck, just not on Sunday when we arrive. So, Coach Cully's going to join us. Jim Wyatt's going to join us. We also have got men behind the mics. And when I say the word Mike, well, I'm talking microphone, but I'm also talking about Mike Keith, the play-by-play voice, longtime play-by-play voice of the Tennessee Titans. And I wish I could have jumped on this call with Mike and with Mark because Mike Keith was part of what I think is one of the best documentaries I've seen. It was on SEC Network called SEC Story called More More Than a Game. And it's about the voices of the Southeastern Conference. And it is fantastic. And Mike did some work with Tennessee Volunteers back in his early days and in college. And so he was interviewed. So maybe we get to Nashville. I might have a chance to run into Mike. I'd like to get his thoughts. But I've been telling Mark Vandermeer, you got to see the show, man. It's awesome. You guys got to see it, too. If you've seen it already, you know what I'm talking about. It is fantastic. So, meet me on the mics. Then, we'll have a little in the lab. Drew Doherty and myself talk about any number of things. Talk about the connections amongst these two teams. And over the years, there's always been a connection. Texans, for a long time, it was with the Denver Broncos. Then, it was somehow with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Obviously, there's a Patriots connection, Patriots-Texans connection. But there is definitely one Texans-Titans. Because when Mike Vrabel took that job in Tennessee, he also took with him a few guys, his secondary coach, his defensive coordinator, one of his strength coaches, and then a number of players uh, that we saw here over the last few years. And a number of them are going to play big roles. I think there was one player that we didn't talk about that just hit me we didn't talk about. And that's Dylan Cole. He's with the Tennessee Titans as well. So a lot to do on the show. Let's kick it off by speaking with the general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario, who is, well, he's not so much crying his milk because John Carroll didn't make the D3 playoffs, but you can tell 
There was a lot of pride in John Carroll, and you see why here in just a second. But here's Nick with me and Mark. Joining us right now at Texans Radio, it's Texans General Manager Nick Casario. Nick, great to have you with us. Back to it, back to the grind here. So self-scout, you looked at yourselves. What can you share with us about what you might have discovered, what you need to work on? Yeah, the way the buy sort of fell sort of midway through the year. So you have nine games and nine games of information, but even prior to nine games, you try to look at what's going on. You kind of break the, the season up into quarters. So after four or five games and then another four or five games. So there were some things that we've done, I would say, fairly well. There's other things, other areas we haven't done as well. I mean, you know, when you look at just the turnovers, we've turned the ball over. We're top five or six in the league, but conversely, we've turn a ball over offensively so it's kind of an offset so at times have been okay in a red area uh, both sides of the ball um, you know the I would say the result of what happened in Miami kind of skewed the red area I would say production so when we've actually offensively been able to get the ball down to the red area you know we've been able to sort of get in the end zone at times mm-hmm. um, and at defensively vice versa so some of the situational elements we've done okay there's some other areas we need to improve whether it's the run game, the run efficiency offensively. Um, you know, there's some things in, in a passing game we've been able to do um, that have given us some chunk plays or some production. So you're really looking at everything, but, you know, really what you want to try to do is say, okay, here are three or four things. If we can improve in these areas, make some incremental progress, then maybe it'll give us a chance, you know, on, on Sunday to win, regardless of who the opponent is. So it's not specific to the opponent. Right. It's more about your team and, and the things that you're doing. Without having to travel, without a game on Sunday, it gives you an opportunity to put more eyes on more guys, watch a little bit more film, watch a few more games, really college, NFL, college or NFL. Do you have an opportunity to do that during the bye, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. Saw a bunch of college games over the weekend, both whether it was uh, on television or on the iPad, and then kind of working on the opponent prep as well. So you're really kind of balancing both off and then just looking at some big picture things, just some planning type things. So it was a great opportunity to do that. The, the great thing is I could do it with my daughters kind of sitting right <laughs> next to me. So then there was no issue. So um, from that perspective, it was, it was fairly productive. Is it different to evaluate a player or a situation when you watch it live versus you're watching a, a video of it later and you're able to fast forward, speed up, you're watching a live game and you kind of get swept up in the emotion maybe, and you feel the pressure in a different way or, or sense it in, in a different way as you're evaluating you when you watch a live game on television you're saying okay i'm going to watch this but eventually your eyes end up going somewhere else so yeah. what the all 22 enables you to do is really focus on one particular thing mm-hmm. one particular player or groups of players and then go back and review it and kind of see it within the context of the play versus when you're watching it live you're just kind of seeing the flow of the game now i would say the benefit of technology and the way that they present these games as they go back and they kind of give you a closer look, go back, rewind, rewatch, so you can actually see a few more things. So it just kind of gives you a general overview. You can't really make a true evaluation of a player based on one game and what happened, or you have to be careful about doing that, you know, getting the whole TV scouting like anybody can TV scout. So it's just one small component. But to be able to see a mass amount of players, a mass amount of people, what you really try to do is maybe make some notes or observations that you saw during a game hey, go back and watch so-and-so. It looked like he was fairly productive or didn't really know much about this guy, had a productive game. So you can go back and check your notes, and then you can go back and maybe do a further, deeper dive on the individual film study. Nick, I know Sunday was not a great performance from Tyrod, but overall through nine games, how would you assess the quarterback position with Davis and Tyrod? Yeah, really both players. There's been some good plays and there's been some bad plays. So a little bit up and down. Um, the games, there's been some games where we've taken care of the ball and we've completed passes. I mean, both players have completed a fairly high percentage of passes. 
Um, really what we want to try to do is maybe see if we can create some more chunk plays and some more explosive plays. At times, regardless of the game, we've kind of moved the ball, call it 25 to 25 or 30 to 30. It's just on either side of it. We just haven't been able to get over the hump. And then there's some of the shorter fields, you know, we've turned the ball over, made some plays. So they're different in their skill set and their playing style. Um, but the most important job of the quarterback is to run the team, is to run the offense and to protect the ball. You touch the ball on basically every play. So your decision-making, regardless of the play, whether it's the mic point in a run game or whether it's third down, mic point, and then understanding how the, the coverage is played, where to go with the ball, like those are things that are important. And it's just at times it's been okay, and other times it hasn't been good enough. With Davis Mills, he played a big chunk of games, and that was beneficial, that experience. How is this beneficial now, the ability to watch, observe, and maybe learn that way? Yeah, as a player, regardless of your role, you still have to prepare as if you're going to play. So you know when you're going to play, okay, what the workflow is and what the expectation is during the week. If there's somebody else that's playing in front of you, well, you really can't change your thought process or mindset. You still have to prepare as if something's going to happen. I mean, you look at the Jets, and they've gone through that. You know, Zach got hurt. Okay, then Mike White played, and then Mike got hurt in the first quarter against the Colts, and then Josh Johnson, who I probably didn't think he was going to play in a game, ends up playing three quarters of the game. You know, gives him a chance in the end. He throws for 300 yards or whatever it was. So your job and your role as a player is to prepare as if you're going to play every snap, and your viewpoint lens through which you view it shouldn't be any different. So you just have to be prepared, and you're making more mental notes when you're on, not playing when you're on the sidelines about what's going on in the game so that if you are thrust into the position where you have to play, you have an understanding of what's what's taking place. Nick, you know this as well as anybody, but rookies come into a situation right now to this week where in college they'd have a game left, maybe two. Their season's about over, but now you've got eight weeks left in this marathon. How important is it for those rookies to, A, understand that, and, B, what can you learn about them over these last eight weeks after they've sort of hit the wall and hopefully they rebound and can finish these last eight weeks well? No, the point you're making is real and legitimate. I mean, actually, if you want to factor in the preseason games, so they've yeah. played 13 games, so they've actually played a full college season and we're not even to Thanksgiving yet. So there's a certain level of mental toughness where you have to be able to push through and understand, like, this is the rigor of the NFL. This is what the expectation is. And you have to kind of continually push forward and press yourself and push yourself. And you can make improvements from now until the end of the year and then prepare yourself for what the offseason may, you know, lie ahead. So we have games to play. The most important thing are the games. And as a player, regardless if you're a rookie or if you're a veteran player, just like we talked about, your job is to prepare and play and do everything that goes into the preparation during the course of the week. Matter of fact, we, I just walked out of the weight room. There's, I mean, a dozen guys that are in there right now doing their regen and getting themselves, their bodies and their minds ready to play. So can you stick with your routine? Can you stay consistent? Can you do it all the way to the end of the year, understanding we're going to be playing football until the middle of January? Speaking of sticking to things, your plan when you came in versus how you have to adjust along the way, because obviously there are things that happen, injuries, whatever, acquisitions you do or do not make, players that work out or not. How do you go about changing, adjusting your plan as you navigate toward year two? I know we're still in the season here, but you always have to zoom out being the general manager and look at the bigger picture. Yeah, it's like managing a portfolio. You have to be nimble. You have <laughs> yeah. to be able to adapt and adjust. So when training camp starts, you kind of have an idea of, all right, here are the players that are here, and we've talked about this. However many new players we run, which was significant, we understood a lot of them weren't going to be here. All right, so right. then once a team is set, okay, then you start to play games. All right, then you've gone through, you know, a handful of games. Or right, now we're at the bye week. So, 
you know, that can, evaluation of your team is ongoing. You know, we're focused on week to week preparing for the opponent and putting all our effort and energy into that. And then there's some things on the periphery as we start to maybe prepare, look ahead. But that's not, that's my responsibility. It's not the coach's and players' responsibility. But it's, it's still important from my perspective to make sure that I'm providing as much time and resources to our staff as, as needed. You stole my thunder right there, Nick, because I was going to ask you about evaluation. Obviously, like you said, the game is the most important thing. Go into game on Sunday, that's important. But you bring guys in. Um, I think Harris came in as uh, an edge guy from Buffalo. You brought in a few other guys. They haven't been here, obviously, to go through the whole thing. And obviously, if they got to go out and play, you want them to be able to play. But I would imagine that bringing them in, a big part of that is evaluating how they fit, not only for this year, but potentially on into the future. Is that true? Uh, there's a f- that's a fair characterization. You know, we have a number of players that are under a contract for next year. But what you do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, is going to be evaluated. So whether it's a short window, whether it's, you know, two or three weeks, whether it's the next, you know, four to six weeks or however many weeks are left in the season. So – any time a player comes into your building, it's your opportunity to see up close and personal their habits, their attitude, their work, how do they approach their business, how do they approach practice, how do they approach their routine on the course of a, of a, a weekly basis. And then you have to look at their skill level and see if they can you can teach them a certain number of things to put them in a position where they can actually go out there and be successful. So once you fast forward past training camp, you're really in a game plan type mentality where, okay, here are the things we're going to do this week. Here are the things the player needs to do this week. So your fundamentals and some of the things that you, you did in training camp, you learn in training camp, all right, when you have a new player, you just have to give them as much as they need as quickly as possible so they can actually assimilate and do the things that we're going to ask them to do. Nick, now you have the Titans, and I know you're familiar with some of the people involved, but the way they've put this whole thing together is very interesting. And now without Derrick Henry still winning games, Ryan Tannehill, they bring him in to be a backup, really, to Mariota, and it works out wonderfully for them as Tannehill's playing very well. What about the way they're constructed? What can you tell us about that from your perspective? Yeah, they've been very purposeful with how they built the team. I think the team is built. We talked about this, you know, a week or so ago. They're built. The team is built in Mike's image. There's no question about it. Okay, Mike was one of the most mentally and physically toughest players that we had in New England. He's very versatile. He did whatever was asked of him from the team. And they'll come out and tell you, like, they want to make it basically a brawl. Like, they want to be physical. They want to run the ball. They want to play aggressive. And they don't really care who the opponent is. I think Kevin Byard made a comment about that as well. So when a player makes those comments, it's a reflection of what's being communicated on a daily basis. And that message is starting at the top with Mike and John as well. John was that same way. You know, when he was a player, John was that same way in New England. So the traits and the characteristics that are important, I would say, from a non-playing perspective in terms of the mental and physical toughness and the characteristics, you see that embody in the players that they bring onto the team. And some of their best players embody those principles. When you look at a guy like Simmons, like there's not a bigger badass in football than Jeffrey Simmons. I mean, he's tough as hell. He's strong as hell. He's a really good player. And, you know, he embodies everything that they want to be as a team. It's the same thing on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, have the, I know Derek's not playing, but that overall mindset, like they want to be big, they want to be bad, they want to be physical. And the one thing about them, they're very disciplined. They don't beat themselves. They're, they're not penalized. They play very good situationally. They, they talked about in the offseason, want to be better on third down, want to be better in the red area. And they've done some things to help in those areas, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And then they, the kicking game, you know, Brent Kern's a really good kicker, you know, or excuse me, a punter. You know, the, the kicking situation has kind of been in flux. But I think their mindset is, look, we don't really care who the hell we have on our team, who's available. 
And the last two weeks are really emblematic of that, where they played two of the best teams in the league. They played the Rams on a road Sunday night. Derek didn't play. He was on injured reserve. And then last week, you know, they played the Saints, who are another good team. And they went out there, and they did enough things to win. I think that's their thought process and mindset. We just need to do enough to win on Sunday. Doesn't matter what it looks like or how we get there. And that's how they play. It's a credit to them. It's a credit to Mike, and it's a credit to John. I think I broke my hand hitting the table when Jeffrey Simmons was drafted by the Titans during the draft show. I was very, very disappointed a couple of years ago when that happened. You had an opportunity, Nick, being with the Patriots. You faced the Dolphins twice a year. So you saw Ryan Tannehill come in as a rookie, and you watched him at times have success, at times not. But ultimately, it didn't work out in Miami for whatever reason. He goes to Tennessee, and he gets inserted into that situation, and all of a sudden, whoa, Ryan Tannehill's an issue to deal with. What have you seen over the years from Ryan Tannehill that has made him the right fit in Tennessee and maybe why it didn't work in Miami? Yeah, they've been able to accentuate his skill set overall. Ryan's a big, strong guy. He's athletic. He's very accurate with the ball. He's accurate in in Miami as well. Um, I think what happened – I can't really speak to what happened in Miami. I can just speak to what you saw on the field. But there were some times when maybe he forced some things or tried to do too much. So – Went to Tennessee, and it really wasn't a mindset. It was just really like, we're going to coach you to, and ask you to do these types of things. And, you know, he went, he's going out there, and he's played with a lot of confidence. And their infrastructure, you know, starting with Mike and the team that John have put together. So they had Matt LaFleur there for a year, you know, a really good offensive coordinator. And then they've been able to maintain continuity. So then we went from Matt to Arthur. Okay, so now they're going from Arthur, Arthur to Todd Downing, right? So he's comfortable in the system. It carries over year to year. There hasn't been a lot of change or a lot of flux. And the things that they do offensively kind of complement the things that Ryan does well. So Ryan's done a great job. Ryan's a talented player. I mean, there's a reason he was picked, you know, 10th overall or 8th overall, whatever it was. You don't get picked without some level of skill. So I think what they've been able to do is just bring out and accentuate his skills, and he's really played a good brand of football over the last, I don't know, two and a half, three years. Nick, as the team has this record, which is not – at all where you want to be, what do you look for for positives week to week, just little moments in the game, uh, a situation, or good practices during the week? Can you share with us some of those things that you look for along the way? Yeah, nobody's happy with our record. I mean, a record is what our record is, but we can't do anything about what's happened in the past. The only thing we can control is is our attitude and our effort moving forward. So I would say the players have really done a great job week to week of going out there, preparing, and going out there and practicing well. It always hasn't translated over into production on the field. Uh, the one thing that the players have been consistent about, their attitude has been good, and their effort has been outstanding. You, you really can't question their effort and their willingness and their want to to go out there and have success. It really comes down to execution on a play-to-play basis and just trusting what's you know being asked of, of the player, trusting what you're, you're being asked to do on that play, and just having confidence to go out there and actually do it. And don't worry about what the result is going to be during the course of the game. At the end of the game, whatever the score is, is the score. But I think that's the most important thing that all of our players can do. And we, we're really what we're looking for. So you want to go through your routine, have a good week of practice, go through your process, and then go out there and actually perform. But the bottom line, it comes down to execution. So we have to be able to go out there and execute. It's not one per player, one person. It's going to be about a collective effort from our team. And if we have collective execution – then we'll put ourselves in a position to hopefully be competitive at the end. Division three playoff bracket came out. Was John Carroll on it? No, I think they went seven and three this year. They actually they had a uh, I coincidentally happened to check. So they played uh, Baldwin Wallace, which is between Mount Union and BW. Those are probably yeah, two of our biggest rivals. So 
the Cuyahoga Gold Bowl, which nobody even knows what the hell that is, but it's like a crosstown rival sort mm-hmm. of trophy. So I think BW was eight and one, and they were actually on the precipice of the playoffs. And then John Carroll was seven and two, six and three going into the game. So their season was basically over. But they won a the game at the end, so they might have knocked BW out. I don't know if BW is on there. I don't think. The, I don't think John Carroll's out, check. so they finished seven and three. You know, which is you know a decent record, but you know. The, the hope and the goal is to to do more. But Coach Finati's done a great job. So the, the the program has been fairly consistent going back to the ice age when I was there. So. <laughs> D three playoffs, I think are, are I just think playoffs are fantastic. But you mentioned uh, you watching games. Can you, after all the years of evaluation, all the film you watch, can you just watch a game just for fun, or are you calling off formations or looking at particular players? Can you watch a game just? For fun, it depends what you're watching. So you know you're you're really watching the flow of the game. But when you're accustomed to watching football for I don't know 25, 30 yeah. years, you're always looking for something. It might it might not necessarily be an evaluation. You might see a team run a player formation and go, you know yeah. what, that's kind of interesting. You know, you make a note about that. So there yeah. could be a scheme element or scheme component, and you're not necessarily worried about okay, where's this guy going to get drafted? Is he going to show up at the East West game? What's his forty time going to be? Is he going to jump high? Yeah. Like none of those types of things. Right. So it depends on the game and really what you're looking for but really it's what your what is your goal what are you trying to accomplish and like we talked about earlier you just have to be careful about too much stock and what you see in one play and what happens because there's so much that goes into the evaluation of any player why do i imagine your daughters to be like the little girl in remember the titans <laughs> and be total football experts please tell me you saw remember the titans <laughs> no I, I have okay good my actually <laughs> my oldest daughter is more in tune than i realize like she's okay. very astute with her observations and questions, and she actually has an understand. And we don't even talk about it at home, mm-hmm. but she just is very observant. So, unfortunately, she has some of her her uh, her father's traits. So, my middle one and the younger one are more like their mother. So, at least they we have a couple that so follow her she, mother. So, will she just ask you a question that you're like, oh, I haven't really thought about that. Uh, yeah, or she'll <laughs> say, oh, yeah, so-and-so, you know, didn't play very well last week, or this team beat that team last week. And it's like, how do you know that? Like, we don't even, like, it's talk in the about DNA. it. the so DNA. She's <laughs> there. Nick, thanks a lot. Good luck this week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Each and every week we get a chance to go two-on-one with the Texans general manager, Nick Casario. It's always fun because we get in on any number of topics. We like talking about the draft and the the building of the team process. We love doing all that with Nick, and he's gracious enough to – uh, go through those things with us and share with us. He's he's really fun. But what stood out to me this week was the way that he spoke about the Tennessee Titans and the philosophy that the Tennessee Titans have. And I always found that really, really interesting to hear what he had to say and how animated he got. If you see the video, you see how animated he got. Now, the one thing Nick is not going to get animated about is, well, going out to eat with me and or Mark at any point, because at some point, we're going to go to one of my favorite places, Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers. And Freddy's is all about the good and creating more of it. More drive through celebrations, more road trips around the block, more family dinners and lunches, more car picnics and desserts, maybe even more second desserts. More being together as much as we can with 17 area locations in the Houston area. Freddy's keeps the good going with the taste that brings you back. It definitely brings me back. I went through there the other day, got me a little uh, turtle concrete on the way home, made for a nice driving dessert. Don't do that at home. Don't do 
But, like, go get a dessert, but let be the designated driver, if you know what I mean. Don't do like I did. All right, let's hear from Coach Cully next. He met with the media today, so we'll do a little David Cully audio jukebox next right here on Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans All Access. Texans. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time for a little Texans audio jukebox. David Cully style. All right, let's hear from the head coach. He was asked today, right off the bat, about facing Mike Vrabel, something that Cully has done in Baltimore. I think they've faced Mike Vrabel in every single stop. Here's what Coach had to say about facing the former Texans defensive coordinator. Well, they are a reflection of who he is. Uh, I happened to be coaching at the Pittsburgh Steelers when he was a young player there. And uh, he was a very selfless kind of player, the kind of player that uh, you want on your football team. And his football team is a reflection of him. He was also a very tough. Uh, you know, it was always about the team. Uh, and his football team is a reflection of who he is, offensively, defensively, and special teams. You heard it from Nick Casario earlier when, when Nick was asked, we talked about the Tennessee Titans, and his eyes kind of lit up, and he's talking about various guys. And he mentioned the word – the words Jeffrey Simmons, which really kind of strikes fear in the hearts of everybody in AFC South and throughout the NFL. Here's what Coach Kelly had to say about facing the big fella, Jeffrey Simmons. Well, he may be, uh, you know, we've gone against Aaron Donald, and, and this guy right here is as good as Aaron Donald. He's one of the best guys in the league at doing that. And obviously the same thing with Aaron Donald. You know, try not to leave him in a situation where you're one-on-one with him very much. And, but he's a heck of a player. Unfortunately, there have been a lot of moving parts on the Texans' offensive line this year. And there are some questions based on the timing of guys that have gone on IR. Could they get anybody back? Well, Coach had this to say about the offensive line heading into the Tennessee game. Oh, us? We're going we're to use the same line we had last, last game out. You know, we'll start the same guys that we had. Uh, Justin's not quite ready yet, and uh, Laramie's not quite ready yet. But the thing about what this, this team does is it brings out – the physicalness in you. They're a very physical front. Uh, they play that way. They play that way defensively. And uh, we got to match that, Brandon. We got to match that. As Coach said, unfortunately, not going to have Laramie Tunsil. But how close is he to making it back? Well, he's still going through the rehab right now. And, uh, you know, he's still got to the point where he's, he's deciding, do I wear a splint or do I not wear a splint? And uh, right now the big thing he's doing is just getting his strength back from uh, – uh, standpoint of him getting his overall strength back because because of the the uh, injury he hasn't been able to lift weights those kind of things it's almost like being on COVID and coming back and not being able to do anything he's actually getting to that point where he's starting to lift a little bit now and get his strength back and once he gets that back it's just a matter of him being able to ready to go perhaps the most frustrating aspect of this season has been the inability to run the ball effectively so the general John McClain asked David Culley if he had hope whether the running game could get it going. I do have hope, uh, John, and the reason I have hope is is that after nine ball games now, we've gone back and we looked and we see we tried to do some things that uh, we felt like we were capable of doing, but uh, because of certain situations, uh, some being injuries and uh, just not being able to get that consistency that we need there. But I think during the bye week when we went back and reassessed who we are and what we need to do to get that going more, uh, I think we'll eliminate some things that we have been doing, as I said before, that weren't good and start doing the things that, that uh, we feel like we were very, very good at. Flipping over the other side of the ball, last week down in Miami, 
Four turnovers forced in defense. One by special teams. Four sacks. Defense really did, I thought, a very, very good job. Gave up one drive after the first interception, really. The rest of the scorers were on short fields for the most part. And one of the key reasons was the play of Zach Cunningham. Here's Coach Cully talking about what Zach has done and what he expects and hopes of him going forward. Well, I mean, you know, he's, he's actually, actually, this past game, he actually called the game, too, uh, which he hadn't been doing before. Uh, you know, he's, he's a heck of an athlete. Uh, you know, he's one of our better players on defense. He's playing the last three ball games that he's played. He's played probably his best football this year. He, you know, he gives us that guy in there that can get all over the place. Uh, you know, he makes a lot of tackles. He's all around there. And I think his energy, too, brings a, a, a little bit more to us on our back end down there than what we've had. Coach brought up a great point, and that was being the man in a huddle, having that responsibility. I think that actually can help a guy like Zach. Sometimes you don't want to load a guy up too much with stuff, but sometimes if you give a guy added responsibility, sometimes he's forgetting about or putting to the side the worry sometimes he just plays. He's making the calls. He's doing everything so fast. He's just doing everything that he's been coached to do in the ball step. You just play. And sometimes you get out of your head, and sometimes you just play, and hopefully that's what happens with Zach Cunningham the rest of the season. Okay, when we get back, we will go behind enemy sidelines with our good friend D.P. Sidhu. It's Tennessee Titans week. That means it's Jim Wyatt on a Wednesday. Gotta love the alliteration. That's next. Behind enemy sidelines, Jim Wyatt, D.P. Sidhu, right here. Texans All Access. Before we jump in with Jim Wyatt and D.P. Sidhu, a quick minute for all of my Houston area teachers out there. I know you're always looking for something to help your kiddos in the classroom learn math a little better way. Well, you want to bring a little Texas football to your classrooms? I know you do. Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills, a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. Nothing better than helping a young man or woman, young boy or girl, learn math. It is so rewarding. So whatever you got to do to do it, do it. And if that's Toro's Math Drills, well, ConocoPhillips has got you covered. All right, it's time to go behind enemy sidelines. That means my good friend, D.P. Sidhu, sitting down with Jim Wyatt. Anytime it's Tennessee Titans week, Jim Wyatt is going to show up on our air, and that is a great thing. I love getting a chance to hear from Jim White. He's a wonderful writer. Been with the Titans now for probably the last five, six years, and he covers them like no other. Here's Jim Wyatt with DP City as we go behind enemy sidelines. It's enemy sidelines presented by Microsoft. My guest this week, Jim Wyatt. He writes for the Tennessee Titans as a senior writer, senior editor. You can find his work on TennesseeTitans.com. Hi, Jim. Six wins in a row for the Titans. I mean, can you believe it, especially with all the injuries and all the adversity that team has gone through this year? What's the mood like in Tennessee, and, and how surprised are you where the Titans are sitting? I have to say I'm, I'd be lying if I said I was not surprised because, you know, this team, you know, the way they started, lost a game right out of the gate against the Cardinals, lost Jets in week four, sitting two and two with really kind of a murderer's row schedule coming up against six playoff teams from last year. I think there are a lot of people in Nashville that thought, okay, I don't think the team thought this, but I think there are a lot, probably a lot of fans that thought, okay, if you could almost split these games, you'd be happy. And then to win six in a row, it, it's been really remarkable. You know, some of the teams that they've beaten, the way they've beaten them, doing it without some key players who are out with injuries. 
And uh, and now you've got people talking about the, you know, not only winning the AFC South, which I really expect the team to do at this point, but then can you hold on to the number one seed in the AFC? And uh, I think that's a realistic possibility. But got to keep playing well, and, and the injuries continue to mount, and uh, we'll just see how this team can handle them. I think one of the biggest surprises is losing Derrick Henry for a chunk of time, possibly the entire season with the foot injury and the Titans sort of keep finding ways to reinvent themselves. How much has the offense changed without Henry in the lineup? And, and what's the expectation now of the run game now that he's out? Well, it has, the offense has sputtered some, you know, the defense has really saved the day uh, the last couple of weeks. And, you know, we, we can talk about some of the guys who have emerged there offensively, you know, the running game is, is obviously different with that Derrick Henry. They brought Adrian Peterson in here, brought Deontay Foreman, had Jeremy Nichols. It's been more of a running back by committee approach, trying to find a guy who has a hot hand and, and really trying to stick with them. With Derrick Henry, you know, they just handed him the ball again and again and again. And by the time the fourth quarter came along, he was wearing teams down. So they're not doing that anymore. And, you know, they're asking more of Ryan Tannehill, obviously asking more of the receiving core. But even that group's been banged up. You know, Julio Jones has not been available most weeks, but they keep finding ways to win. And uh, I think now the question is how much longer can they do it? And the question that everybody keeps asking is, will Derek Kendry be back at some point? That's so far down the road. Right now they got to win what they've got. How surprised are you by Adrian Peterson and him showing up what he's been able to do? And, and what's the expectation there for him? Is he going to get a majority of the carries? Are they still going to continue to split the carries once he gets up to speed? They've got two games under their belt now, essentially. So is this sort of how you see the run game playing out now? I think how maybe Adrian does will help determine that. I think the plan, you know, is for him to maybe be the guy that gets the majority of the carries as he gets more comfortable you know, it gets in better condition, gets more in sync with the offensive line. It's been, you know, it's been slow going early, which I think is, you know, to be expected. This guy was not with the team the entire season. You know, he came in here at 36 years old. He looks great and he looks in good condition. I think he's eager to want to do more. But Deontay Foreman has actually performed pretty well when he's gotten the ball. So I think, I think they'll continue to try to find um, the guy who is kind of developing the quickest of those two, because Foreman came in here the same week. They're both on the same timetable. And then kind of see where it, it goes from there. It's been cool to see Adrian Peterson. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, some of these guys, the Titans have signed late in seasons. I can say I covered all these Hall of Famers. Randy Moss came in here one year, several years ago. Julio Jones now in here at the end of his career. You got Adrian Peterson coming in. I mean, it's a who's who uh, of players. Uh, but now Peterson, Peterson's got to prove himself worthy of carries moving forward, though. His, his past credentials are not going to get it. All right. You mentioned Julio Jones, another Hall of Famer there. With his injury, who do you think will get uh, the lion's share of, of catches? Who's going to benefit more, A.J. Brown or Marcus Johnson? I saw that Marcus Johnson had a 100-yard receiving game last week against the Saints. Do you expect that to sort of continue with Julio out? Uh, Marcus Johnson was really good on Sunday, and and you know – he had the best, I have to say, you know, during training camp, he was the most consistent receiver that they had. Now, granted, Julio didn't practice a lot during training camp. AJ was being brought along slowly. 
Morgan Johnson every day was this team's best receiver. And then when the season kind of rolled around, he, he you know, he dealt with an injury and then he kind of he kind of drifted into the background a little bit. He has reemerged. I think this potentially could be a sign of things to come. A.J. Brown is clearly still this team's number one receiver. And I think most weeks he's going to be the guy who gets the lion's share of the looks and the catches. They've got some other guys, Nick Westbrook, Akina, who has done a nice job. They just released Josh Reynolds, you know, the day before uh, Julio Jones reactivated his hamstring injury. They parted ways with Josh Reynolds. So the receiving core has kind of taken on a different look. But I think for the time being, until Julio can get healthy, I think you'll see AJ. I think you'll see Marcus Johnson. I think you'll see Nick, Nick Westbrook, Akina, and then Chester Rogers, who works a lot in the slot. He'll be involved as well. All right, Ryan Tannehill, he didn't really put up flashy numbers in that win over the Saints, 19 for 27, 213 yards and a touchdown. No interceptions, though. What's been the key for Tannehill really moving this offense forward without Henry or Jones in the lineup? Well, I, I think, you know, he's used his legs uh, on top of, of throwing it. You know, he, he's kind of an extra weapon uh, out of the backfield in some ways, especially in the goal line when that play action works. You know, the challenge he faces now is, you know, is the play action going to be as effective without Derrick Henry can he still be effective without some of his top targets at receiver? He's turned the ball over too much this year. I think he'd tell you that himself. He's made some throws he'd like to have back, and we haven't really seen that over the last couple of years. He's going to have to be better. Uh, it was really a sluggish performance on offense on Sunday, but they, they, they did enough to win. And I think, I think with Ryan Tannehill, I think he knows he's got to be sharp. He's got to be effective. He can't make mistakes, give the other team short fields by turning the ball over. So that, that's something he's got to do a better job of, um, you know, in, this, in these coming weeks. Yeah, the, the Titans defense, you mentioned them really stepping up when, when Henry went out. And I think everyone was really impressed in that win over the Chiefs where they held Mahomes to just a field goal in that game. So that pass rush has been really effective in getting to quarterbacks. Who have you seen really step up for that defensive front? Well, I mean, it's been incredible, really. I mean, it's this this defense was really one of the laughing stocks of the league last year. And I remember doing interviews before the season started. I think I was talking to maybe Darren Urban in Arizona, and he was referencing the Titans defense as being, you know, probably the worst in the league. And, and then certainly in week one, they look like the worst in the league. But something has kind of clicked. And, uh, and, uh, and that's something is really the pass rush. You know, Harold Landry with 10 sacks in 10 games, really having a breakout season. Jeffrey Simmons in the middle, uh, seven and a half sacks. You know, he's got five sacks in the last two games. They have been really, really disruptive up front, and that's kind of allowed the secondary to kind of be able to, to play a lot better. And Kevin Byard has been really good, forcing turnovers again. He's kind of reemerged as kind of a Pro Bowl caliber player. You know, this defense is, is, has been so good that people in town are trying to come up with a nickname for it, which is, uh, you know, not something that people are used to right here. Uh, they've been called names before. but <laughs> Not good ones. Uh, yes, that's right. And I don't know if some of the nicknames are good when somebody's trying to come, trying to push the tickle monsters because they're one of the <laughs> – that kind of just harasses you and drives you crazy. I don't know if that's going to stick, but <laughs> we're dealing with when you uh, when you're performing well and fans are enjoying it. Yeah, you mentioned Kevin Byard, five interceptions through ten games and a touchdown. What's made him so effective at getting to the ball this year? What's been different for him? 
Well, he really was hard on himself in the last year. And kind of, you know, it certainly wasn't all his fault, but he tried to take the blame for the defensive struggles and said a lot of it's on him. He's got to be better, committed himself to working harder. I, I don't think he ever slacked off or took it easy. Uh, so I, I hate to say it's a result of him getting more serious again. I just think he has, from film study and from instincts, he jumped around and, and it resulted in pick six. So he's just doing those type of things. He's just all of a sudden being the guy that's in the right place at the right time once again. And uh, he's been really, really good for this defense. All right. On a serious and more personal note, A.J. Brown, he shared a message uh, over the weekend on his social media about how he considered suicide and was battling depression, really brave and courageous of him. It's, it's gotten a lot of attention across the league. What's been the reaction in the building to, to Brown's message and, and your thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, when that came out Friday night, I, I think it caught me by surprise. It caught a lot of people by surprise. And anytime somebody, you know, of that stature and, and you know, that, that, that has a following is brave enough to, to share some of his personal struggles, I think it's you know, I, I was proud of him for doing that. I know Mike Brable talked at his press council Monday about them trying to have a culture there of, 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 of talking through your problems, let people know when things are not right. And, and, and they're obviously dealing with some of that through AJ. AJ is one of the most, uh, you know, energetic, friendliest, uh, you know, good spirited guys that I've ever been around. But I think it just shows that you just never know what somebody's going through. So uh, really I have a lot of respect for him for being willing to talk about that. I do think his message is going to help others. I mean, just judging from my social media feed and from the comments I see, you just realize how many other people are going through something similar. And then there are probably a lot of people out there that are going through it and not really uh, sharing their feelings with people. So when, when he's willing to do that, I think he's helping others. I don't think that, you know, I think that's part of the reason he did it. And, and he's supposed to talk to us later this week and kind of maybe explain maybe where that was coming from, but really a good kid. And, uh, and I hope that this is kind of uh, something that maybe helps him uh, moving forward as well. Yeah. Well said, Jim. Uh, well, Jim, thanks so much. Appreciate the time. And we look forward to the matchup on Sunday. It's pretty powerful stuff there from Jim Wyatt talking about A.J. Brown uh, and what he is going through right now. And obviously, that always hits very, very close to home uh, for me and for my family. So uh, my thoughts are, are with A.J. Um, it was very interesting to hear from Jim. And, and I hope it's something that NFL teams are getting a little bit better of a handle on so they can help their players. But just the understanding uh, is a massive piece of the equation. It sounds as if the Titans have that, no doubt, for A.J. Brown. All right, we got one hour down, one hour left to go, and that means we kick off the second hour with men behind the mics. Our pal Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans, sits down with longtime play-by-play host and friend Mike Keith. Boy, Mike's a really interesting dude. I love getting a chance to talk with him. This one's Mark and Mike, so it's okay. But that's next right here in Texas All Access. Right here in Texas All Access. Right here in Texas. We've got one hour in the books. One hour left to go right here on a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you this evening. A wonderful, wonderful Wednesday evening. This is why you live in Houston amongst a thousand other things. But when you can look at the weather on November 17th and go, oh, man, this is nice. 
yeah, that's why you live here. Glad you're with me this evening. And I want to take a second for my friends over at Mattress Firm because they're trying to hook you up. Hook you up. This season, Mattress Firm is giving away two tickets, custom jerseys, to Rasco's Club Passes and parking to two lucky fans each week. Let me repeat. Two tickets, custom jerseys, Tarasco's Club Passes, and parking to two lucky fans each week. All you have to do is go to HoustonTexans.com slash DreamBigExperience. HoustonTexans.com slash DreamBigExperience to enter to win. I mean, that's awesome. Tickets, jerseys. Tarasco's Club Passes, that's the one thing I never get to really be a part of is the tailgating and being up where all you know the great food and drink and carrying on is going on. I mean, I got to be down on the sidelines. And look, it's fun, man. I'm not trading it for anything. But, man, I like to go up to Trasco's Club every now and again. Go have a, I don't know, a burger or have something to eat, some of the great food, a ceviche maybe. I don't know. Had a ceviche last week in Fort Lauderdale, two weeks ago. Man, the bye week's throwing me off. I keep saying last week, but it actually was two weeks ago. Feels like a year ago, and yet it feels like it just happened yesterday that we played uh, played a game. But actually, I had the bye week, open week, off week, don't care what you call it. I'm just going to go on a rant every time I bring it up. I'm going to call it a bye week. Deal with it. Deal with it. All right. It is Tennessee Titans week, and I always look forward to Tennessee Titans week for this segment in particular. One of the guys that we've gotten to know over the years, and I say we, because every time we go to the Combine, Mark and I sit down and we get as many radio interviews as possible. And the one I, I look forward to almost every year is chopping it up with Mike Keith, the play-by-play voice of the Tennessee Titans. He has been the man from the beginning back in 1997, I think it was the first year, I can't remember for sure. I think 1997. Either way, he's been the guy. And... I thought about Mike, it's probably about a month ago when I first saw it. It was a documentary I mentioned earlier called More Than a Game. It's on SEC Network. Uh, they have a show called SEC Stored. And it's essentially the SEC Network's 30 for 30 arm. They don't call it 30 for 30. They call it SEC Storied. But the same kind of thing. So Kenny Chesney produced it and got together some of the great voices in the Southeastern Conference. And Mike was one of those. And I was like, wait a second, Mike, Mike does the Tennessee Titans, but he tells a story that he had actually spent time with the Tennessee Volunteers when he was right out of college or in college. I know in college, but it was just interesting to hear him talk about broadcasting. And of course, that strikes home for me. I've tried to get Mark to watch the video. He's really wanting to watch it because it talks about games on the radio and really connecting with the voice of a team. And I think about that. Uh, with the Texans, that every time I hear a Texans highlight, I hear Mark's name, or I hear his voice. I mean, I hear it every day, but I hear it then, too. And I, even before I became the satellite reporter, I just associated everything Texans with Mark's voice. And Mark and Andre, hearing them do the game. And I can imagine that was kind of weird for people to listen to the game last week. They hear my voice um, and no Dre, because he was out. So it's always interesting to talk about the world of broadcasting and talking about it with a guy in Mike Keith, who is got so many varied interests and in things that he does. He's such an interesting guy. And he sat down with Mark. They chopped it up about this one and what's been going on in Titans land. Mark, take it away. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's the voice of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Keith. Mike, glad to have you with us. How's it going, my friend? Top seed in the AFC. 
Yeah, it's been an interesting year, a, a successful year, but a strange year for the Titans to this point, and I'm glad to be with you, Mark. Let's start here in an unusual place, sort of. John Robinson, general manager of this team, comes in in 2016. I think there are only two players on the roster who were there before he got there, so he's overhauled the whole thing. Take me through a little bit of the process, his thinking, and how it's working out. Obviously, it's working out very well with all winning seasons, and you are where you are right now. It started off with he and Mike Malarkey coming in together, and the situation went through two years, and they went nine and seven together and sort of felt like they they had some some synergy, but then it was time to go in a different direction with the offense. They wanted to make some moves and and do something different offensively. Malarkey didn't want to do that, and so Amy Adams Strunk uh, released him from his contract with a year to go. At that point, they went out and hired Mike Vrabel. They started with Matt LaFleur, and Matt LaFleur did a nice job for a year as offensive coordinator, and then he departed to become the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And They promoted Arthur Smith and had two very successful years once they figured out the quarterback position with Ryan Tannehill, and with the amazing development of Derrick Henry after three years of just being, okay, you know, he became something completely different uh, towards the end of year three. And so as they've kind of stacked people on both lines, they've, they've, you know, looked for value. They've looked for guys to develop. They've worked very hard through the undrafteds. Um, They've made a few bold moves, but it's not been – an organization characterized by the wild moves or the outlandish. And I think slow and steady has been the way they have gone. The biggest thing that's happened, though, is they found the answer at quarterback. And that was something that, you know, they did not have kind of consistent basis since Steve McNair. Kerry Collins did a pretty good job at one point. Matt Hasselbeck did a good job for a year, but they just never had their guy. And once they found Tannehill and what was a trade that most people thought was kind of, eh, you know, right before the 2019 draft, um, they figured it out. They absolutely have. He's done very well. You have no Derrick Henry right now. How are they winning without him? They still seem committed to the run. It's not as successful yet. A couple of wins here. How's it going, Mike? It's hard to tell for two reasons, Mark. Number one, they played two very good run defenses. Uh, the Rams play the run very well, and the, the Saints are the number one run defense in the NFL. The two running backs, for the most part, talking about Deontay Foreman and, and also Adrian Peterson, have been here for two weeks. So neither one of them were anywhere. Uh, Foreman was with the Falcons in camp. He had not been anywhere since. Peterson had been out of football for 10 months just waiting for an opportunity. So it's sort of taken them some time. The other issue continues to be the injuries in the offensive line. This offensive line, the starting five at the at the beginning of the year, has not gone through one game in its entirety altogether. So 10 games this year, they've had at least one guy have to miss some snaps, if not a game. And the rotating nature of that has kind of made it difficult to get in any sort of rhythm overall. Derrick Henry could mask some of those problems. You know, he he's like a guy who can make those offensive linemen look good, and they're happy to tell you that their guy helps them out. When you got new guys in and everybody's trying to figure it out, some things show up even more. So I think the grade to this point is incomplete. 
but it's something that they have to get figured out if they're going to make noise going down the stretch. Because listen, Mark, they're built to run. They are not built to throw 50 times a game. That's not who they want to be. They must run the football better than 66 and 69 yards per game. Tell me about Marcus Johnson. I know he's been around the league a little bit. He's a longhorn. But here he is first year with the Tennessee Titans, and he erupts last week for the offense. What about him? (laughs) It's a great story. So the Colts cut him January 2nd, and the Titans added him to the practice squad right before their playoff game with Baltimore. So after the regular season ends, he was so good in practice, they nearly activated him for the playoff game. And they, they didn't. They end up re-signing him in the offseason. He does great in all the offseason workouts. He's one of the big stars of training camp. And people are thinking, this guy may be the number three with Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Well, then he gets hurt. He gets hurt right at the end of training camp. Goes on IR. Um, comes back. First game is Jacksonville in October. He plays well. And then he really doesn't do anything. And now that he shows up this past Sunday, five catches for 100 yards, and their hope is that he's got health, that he has some confidence, and that he can get into some sort of rhythm because, I mean, this guy's 6'2", he's 210, he has 4'4 speed, he can catch the ball, he's very good run after the catch. His issue, really two, health and just overall consistency. You know, he's got 300-yard games in his career. You know, there are a lot of receivers that we know well who don't have 300-yard games in, in their careers, and, and yet it's been it's sort of eluded him in terms of finding that staying power, that spot where he can be a difference maker. The Titans are hoping that over the final seven games he can give them some consistent performance. Mike, on the defensive side of the ball, Jeffrey Simmons, John Harris, our draft expert, sideline reporter, etc. When the Titans drafted him first round in 2019, he slammed the table because he knew this was going to be a problem in the division. He's a problem for a lot of teams. What about him? He knocked down the two-point conversion pass against the Texans in Nashville last year. He just makes play after play. He's so big. I mean, he is just such a big individual. And, you know, it's there are, there are a lot of guys in the league who are 6'4", and there are a lot of guys in the league who are over 300 pounds. And yet some guys are just bigger. You know, they, you just see them and you're like, whoa. And that's him. Long arms, long legs, giant hands, incredibly athletic, um, really put together in a way, maybe not quite like J.J. Watt was, but going towards that. I mean, not a lot of fat on this guy. Can really, really run, has a big-time motor. Wants to be great. That's one of the most exciting things about him from the Titans' perspective. And he's been playing with a bum ankle for the last few weeks and still has been giving them all but 10 snaps a game on the defensive line. Um, He's coming into his own now, and he is starting to see what a beast he can be. You certainly remember Albert Hainsworth. Oh, yeah. This is... This is a guy who has that sort of ability, just natural ability and bigness like Albert Hainsworth, but he's got a lot more of a motor, a lot more desire, and is probably more athletic overall. Uh, I think, I'm like John, I think he's a top three to four pick if he doesn't have the ACL injury in February before the draft. I don't think there's any way that he gets by the Raiders 
or the Jets at that point in that draft. I, I, I think he's that kind of talent. The Titans got very, very lucky with him at number 19 in 2019. Voice of the Titans, Mike Keith, joining us on Texans Radio. Okay, the streak. How big a deal are people making of the streak in Nashville, Mike, as you beat five consecutive teams that were in the playoffs the year before? This is an NFL record. Now, in order to have that record, you have to have the opportunity to do it because not everybody gets that. But I think it's a pretty big deal. What do you think? You know, it, I've, I've heard that quite a bit on the national shows. I don't think it's being played up very much locally because I think everybody here is kind of just amazed that this has kept going the way it is with all the injuries. You know, the Titans have played 82 guys this year. Mm. And the record, I believe, is 84. And there's seven games left. Um, when when the season started and the injury bug hit this ball club and they were two and two, it sounded like an excuse. Well, now that they're eight and two, I think there are a lot of people just kind of amazed that they have gotten to this point. So in terms of the whole, well, you got the best record in the conference or they've got the streak. I, I don't think it's about that here so much. I think it's about being impressed that they have found a way to do it and seeing if they can continue to do it and, and the chance too to potentially improve, you know, this, this team has a buy that doesn't happen until week 13 and they, this team desperately needs a buy. Mm. I don't know what Mike Vrabel can do in practice with these guys overall, Mark, because they are so beaten up at so many key spots. That being the case, you're, you know, you got two more games before the bye. Can they keep it up? And I think that's been more of the question that people have had here is, are they able to keep going with what they've been up against? Because now that you've won six in a row, the injuries don't sound like an excuse anymore. They become more of a fact. People are like, well, you know, we have a lot of injuries. If you say that when you're not winning, you're whining, right? Wow. Well, when you when you are winning and you talk about injuries, people say, well, that's impressive. That's kind of been the talk here. Mike Keith, voice of the Titans, joining us. All right, the division, the Colts, what do you think here? As It's been a little shaky at times, but here they are with five wins and a chance to make a move. Good team. You know, really good team. They've, they've had some bad luck. Uh, they certainly should be 6-4. and four. They should have beaten Baltimore. Uh, had a great chance to to beat the Titans on Halloween uh, in the, in the game that ended in overtime. It's a good ball club that you could see making a big run the rest of the way. I think the issue for the Colts is schedule. You know they they've still got a lot of tough teams to play on their schedule. That's why the Titans already having the Colts out of the way. Very unusual scheduling. Titans and the Colts done by Halloween. Mm-hmm. And the fact and the fact that the Titans were able to get both of those games. So the lead in the division is more or less four games because of the sweep of the season series. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's going to be tough to win the division for them. There's no doubt. And, and anything can happen. But I think they're a playoff team. I think when it's all said and done, they're going to win enough games to get into the playoffs. More impressive win, in your opinion, for the Titans at the Rams or home against the Chiefs? That was 27-3 against Kansas City at the time. I think probably the Rams game based on what had just happened with Derrick Henry. And the the week the team came off of, so you go to Indy, you get the very emotional win. Everybody's excited. 
because you've got a, an advantage there and you're saying, okay, we're six and two and you wake up Monday morning and the news hits that Derrick Henry has a broken foot that needs surgery. And so then you're dialing up Adrian Peterson, you're dialing up Deontay Foreman and you could do the whole thing about, well, one player doesn't make a team. Well, that's true. And the Titans are a pretty good club without Derrick Henry. But let's face it, Mark, the offense changes. There yeah. are very few teams in this league that have one guy that you say, okay, this week on offense, we're definitely going to hand it to 22 at least 25 times. Mm-hmm. That's, that's going to happen. Well, now you've got to figure out the offensive line thing, the running back thing, the tight end thing. You know, the Titans having to put extra offensive linemen in the game at tight end now to shore up blocking. Everything changed. So when they got to Los Angeles, you know, it was the the big showcase of SoFi Stadium on national TV. And the Titans, uh, Dave McGinnis, my color analyst, said the Titans were kind of being treated like the homecoming opponent. And they sort of were. You know, the, the whole thing was about the Rams and everything they were doing. and you know, the Titans kind of stole the show. So I, I think that one is probably the bigger one. And, and I think it got people's attention that this club is more than Derrick Henry. Now, they've got to get a lot of things figured out. But I think that was something that really caught everyone's attention. What happened against the Jets? <laughs> Titans played poorly. I mean, just really poorly. Uh, missed a lot of opportunities to to score points, couldn't get any big plays, gave up a bunch of big plays. And, you know, that's been the scary thing for this defense is they've given up a lot of chunk plays, which is not good. And they've given up pass interference penalties, which have essentially been more chunk plays. Uh, That's the part of the Titans defense that has, has made them nervous. Now it's better now that Amani Hooker is back at safety with Kevin Byard because Hooker can really run, but you know, that's the part of this defense that still kind of makes you nervous. Their ability to allow big plays. When they make you drive first down to first down to first down, they're hard to score on because eventually somebody's going to make a play. And that's what's exciting about them. But the chunk plays, that's where they've had problems. And what did the Saints come up with yesterday? Or I should say last Sunday, the Saints came up with six chunk plays. Mike Keats, voice of the Titans, joining us. Mike, when we caught up at the Combine a couple of years ago, you were coming off a movie production, an acting performance. I think you were playing a coach. Am I right about that? Anything else developing with that part of your career? No, I, I think I don't. I, I don't think I'm going to be reprising that role at any point. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to keep my head above water right now and be a broadcaster. That was actually a movie produced by one of the gentlemen who works on our TV shows. Okay. And so I guess if he has another production of anything, he'll probably throw me in it because I work cheap and I do show up, but uh, yeah, no big awards coming from that mark. Uh, no other calls, no agents, nothing of the sort. No spinoff to the mini series. No. Nothing like that. No. Too bad. No, All don't right. need another coach throwing a chair. I guess <laughs> if they do, they know, they know my number, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll see you on Sunday, Mike. We really appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. Look forward to it, Mark. Thanks. There's so many things you learn when you sit down with somebody and talk to them. I remember going to the combine talking to Paul Allen, who is the play-by-play voice of the Minnesota Vikings. 
it, it was just it was fabulous having to talking to Jeff Joniak of the Bears. This is all the last combine we were there. Well, at that combine, we were talking to Mike off the air, and he made a comment about his cousin was Jack Parkman. It's like, wait a second, Jack Parkman, like Major League Two. He's the best villain ever. He goes, yeah, that was my cousin, David Keith. And I was like, oh. At that point, Mike Keith just rocketed up my um, my rankings as behind Mark as the best play-by-play guy in the NFL. I mean, he could screw up everything. But he's Jack Parkman's cousin. Actually, he's David Keith's cousin. David Keith just played Jack Parkman. And I, we, I was fascinated by that. I love the Major League Series, at least one and two. I didn't really care for three all that much. I probably watched it just because I'm a sick dude. But that said, Major League Two was awesome. Well, as good as one, but it was awesome. And Jack Parkman? Oh! So anyways, Mike Keith moved up the rankings, no doubt. A guy that's near the top of my rankings on everything in life is Drew Doherty. He joins me next for a little In the Lab. Right here, Texans All Access. Right here, Texans All Access. Right here, Texans All Access. Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris. And did I just see that Justin Verlander is signing with the Houston Astros? It is absolutely amazing to me the number of people that were losing their collective bleep because, oh, he wasn't around the team. Oh, and by the way, he's coming back. This is why you just let things play out, let it go, and see what happens. If he ends up signing somewhere else or had signed somewhere else, React accordingly. Carlos Correa signs somewhere else. React accordingly. But we get all of our, you know what, a bunch. Because, oh my gosh, Carlos Correa ripped Derek Jeter. Could that mean, you know what, just let it play out. You never know what might end up happening. Enjoy it. Don't sit there and go, oh my God, I think he that. No. Just let it play out. Dad Gummit, JV's coming back. That's awesome. Hopefully he's rehabbing, ready to go for 2022. That's great stuff for the Houston Astros. Let's talk a little Houston Texans football with my pal, my good buddy, Drew Doherty. We did a little in the lab earlier today. This is in the lab. It's me, Drew Doherty, with my good pal, John Harris. And John, the Texans are back to work, back to football. They're going to Nashville. They're taking on the Titans. This is a team we know very, very well. It's their bitterest of enemies. Their bitterest of rivals, and the uh, the team that used to be yours and my's, uh, yeah. your your and my favorites. I don't know how that works. I'm bungling it. But the Oilers used to be my favorite football team. Same for you. Yep. And um, you know, no woman could ever break my heart like the Oilers did. They're now gone, and yeah. the, te- the Texans are now my team. So it's interesting looking at this matchup. Obviously. Titans are favored to win it, but it's interesting for a a variety of reasons, mainly for me, because every week on a Tuesday, I do this little connections piece. It's, it's, I don't do it. It's handed to me by, by public relations, (laughs) by the media relations folks here. Fantastic job. Yeah. And rarely do you see one, two, three, four, five, six former Texans on another team. And that's what you got just players wise on this uh, Titans squad because you got five former Texan coaches there as well. Obviously, Mike Vrabel is the head coach. He was a linebacker's yes. coach here. He's had one year as a D.C. in 17. You got the quarterback's coach, Pat O'Hara, who is also uh, an extra in so many movies. 
Yeah. I, we should probably tell Mark Vandermeer about that because he's a movie buff, and I don't know if he knows any of oh, that. Oh, no. Oh, Vandermeer loves him some Pat O'Hara. Yeah, yeah. I'm, Without I'm a doubt. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, and, and funnily enough, um, Terrence Mitchell, quarterback here on the Texans this morning, yeah. he was in the cafeteria wearing a Steeman Willie Beeman Sharks <laughs> jersey. Awesome. Yeah. Vandermeer saw that, and so Vandermeer's head nearly exploded and talked to yeah. him about it. And, um, you know, I was an extra in the movie Any Given Sunday with – with uh steam and willie beam did you know that i don't know if i knew that yeah i maybe you've told me that and i just couldn't remember but it makes sense now that you've said that to me but you don't uh, see or hear yeah. me but it's the scene where pacino has to apologize to the press for shoving john c yeah McGinley. yeah yeah and it was fun he was in that it was mcginley pacino Cameron Diaz, Charlton Heston, they were all in the scene. And I was yeah. in the room with them, just kind of watching. It was back when I was in college at SMU. You also got That's their defensive awesome. coordinator, Shane Bowen. He was here. He was mm -hmm. a defensive assistant for a few years. Good guy. Yep. Secondary coach, Anthony Midget, who was here. And then strength and conditioning assistant, Brian Bell. Yeah. He was with us. Love B-Bell. But think about this. All these former players. You got Randy Bullock, the kicker. Deontay Foreman's getting carries now. Yes, he is. Never worked yeah. out here for the Texans in the long term. Ben Jones, man, that guy is coming up on his, what, 10th year in the league? He's kind of one that got away, yeah. I think. He would have been a good one to keep around. He started yeah. for them. He started for the Texans. He's uh, still walking barefoot before the game. <laughs> the pride of Bibb County, Alabama. Kendall Lamb is also on the Titans. Michael Pruitt. Spent a little bit of time here as a tight end. And then yep. one of everyone's favorites, David Questenberry, is also a Titan. How about that, dude? That's right there. That's 11 connections, yeah. like really strong connections uh, between these two franchises. Yeah. You know, it's interesting thinking of, you know, those names you mentioned. I think the one that I don't, I don't want to say, you know, bothers me. Like I understand business decisions and things that had to be made, but I was. I was texting back and forth with a friend of mine this, this weekend, and we were actually talking about the offensive line and tracing things with the offensive line back to Dwayne Brown and in, in, in 2017. And I was like, you know, I, th I think it, it goes even, back further. I think it goes back further than that. The fact that in 2015, the, the left side of your line is from center over it's Ben Jones, Brandon Brooks and Dwayne Brown. Now those now, I don't know if Brandon's banged up. I know Brandon's had some injury issues. But after Brandon left, he ended up being a pro bowler with the Philadelphia Eagles. And we all knew he had the, the talent. You know, he showed that. But I think what it went to show me, Drew, is that sometimes we need not be so critical of, of, of what we have. Like, I would watch those three and be like, you know, I'd find certain things that I didn't really like. Okay, these guys can be better. They could be better. And I think the coaching staff looked at it as, bah. and then they, they gave them, you know, some offers that probably they didn't like. And obviously they felt like, okay, well, we're not wanted here. And so Ben goes to Tennessee, Brandon goes to Philadelphia, and they're still playing for those respective places. Uh, they trade Dwayne in 2017. And then all I struggled to replace those, well, two of the three, obviously Larry Tunsil stepped in and, and has done a, a great job when he's on the field at left tackle. But we've really struggled to to replace Ben Jones and and Brandon Brooks and those guys and seeing Ben is is a constant reminder of that and I and I say this and I was saying this in the text conversation look I don't think that Ben is the best center in the league I re I really don't 
I think there are some things that he just he doesn't do or doesn't do well. But Ben gave you an identity, man. He was tough, and not just because he didn't super wear smart shoes. Too. Super smart. Yeah, super smart, super competitive. Got in people's faces when he needed to. I mean, you know, he and look, like you said, he's going on his uh, this is his tenth year. He's drafted in twenty twelve. Yeah. And he played guard one year, then he finally got to center and did some things, and then he moved on and he's done some really nice things uh, with the Tennessee Titans. He's never been an all he's never been an all pro or pro bowler. But to me, he was the guy that you I don't say you took for granted, but you kind of did. And unfortunately, because you took him for granted, he ended up wanting to go somewhere else when he felt like he got a better offer to go somewhere else. And he of course goes to a division team and they absolutely love him in Tennessee. They, they love him. And, and we were talking to Nick Casario on Tuesday and we brought up the Tennessee Titans and it was interesting to listen to Nick talk about this Tennessee team in general. And he just, he made a comment very pointedly about them wanting to be a bunch of badasses. And I was just like, Whoa, like, I, I mean, it was the first time I kind of heard Nick talk like me in some sense saying something like that. Cause he's very, you know, very um, not, not as a business like, but he kind of doesn't go into that room, but he's talking about Tennessee and he's like, yeah, they got a bunch of badasses. He talked about that offensive line. He said, that's the way they want to play. Well, they can play that way because they have a guy in the middle like Ben Jones, Yeah, you know, Philadelphia for years at Brandon Brooks. And, and I think about that with Ben Jones and, you know, those guys you mentioned, we all have obvious, you know, ties to them in some sense, love David Quisenberry, you know, last year, when we played the Titans at our place and you know, I couldn't be on the sideline, but I, I could be in my moat, my little one row, you know, first row. And he happened to be walking over where he's going to stretch. And he just kind of gave a little bit of a salute um, over. Um, and I just thought that was kind of cool. You know, the fact that he, you know, remembered me and saw me and I wish he'd go on the field and kind of tell him how proud I am of him because he's done, he's done a heck of a job. He's been a big piece of that bully ball that Tennessee plays with Derrick Henry or Deontay Foreman or whoever they're going to put back there. And oh, by the way, Adrian Peterson also plays for them too. So it tackling on Sunday is always a premium, but this Sunday in particular, it's going to be at a high, high premium against these guys. Their team over the last few years that, man, there's a lot of games that they go into that you think there's, they have no business winning this game. Right. And right. even during the game, you're like, but well, they're not going to win this game. And what do they do? They just find a way to win. When they, I, yep. Like earlier this year in Seattle, when Seattle was still healthy and, you know, they, yeah. were, they were a record. I mean, they went in there and they, they beat the Seahawks. And They were down in that game too, yeah. Drew. They were down something. I know. Big. That's something the, big. Like, there's no way. That's and the they, glaring one for me. And it seems like, man, I've felt this way about eight or nine other times over the last three or yeah. four years. And, you know, that's not luck. You got to hand it to a team that can do that over and over and over again. And that's, that's yeah. what they've done. You know, they've, you got to you got to tip your your cap and and salute them because it's a pretty good team. Um, and they're they're going to be a when they get their horses back, man. That they're going to be a team that's got to be reckoned with. So and I mean the thing about it is, Drew, you, you mentioned it that that Seattle game was huge. Yeah. Just they they started off poorly and the you know losing the first game of the year. And I'm trying to remember who beat them Arizona. The first. Oh, Arizona. Arizona. And Arizona's Arizona. done that to a lot of people. Yeah. Right. And so now you look back at that game and go, oh, okay, but. Then they go out to Seattle and they're down in that game big and then somehow found a way to come back and win that thing in overtime. Beat Buffalo. And, you know, then they, they beat Indianapolis. Then they lost to the Jets. That, to me, was the turning point. So they lose to the Jets. They're 2-2. Two and two. Everybody in AFC South is 2-2 two and two or 1-3. and three, And it's like, 
man, what the, what the hell is going on? They lost all of a sudden, beat the Jags in Jacksonville. And then they won this run. They beat the Bills on a Monday night. They beat the Chiefs. Chiefs. They Colts hammered again. the Chiefs. Beat the Colts again in overtime. Beat the Rams on Sunday night and beat the Saints the other day. I mean, that run is better than any run any NFL team has made this year. Any. It's an impressive any. team. And they, met, they beat the Rams and the Saints without arguably the best non-quarterback in the league in Derrick Henry. So, yeah, it's, it's really a group that's kind of turning around, like you said. They've got a bunch of former Texans. Here's the thing, and I thought about this. Do we have any former Titans? Only one, and you're not going to guess him. Mm. Desmond King, and he wasn't there very long. Oh, that's right. I should have guessed that. I knew that because I was mad at I was mad at Desmond and mad at the Titans that he ended up going there. You're right. He was there for a lot, half of last year, I believe it was. He got traded there on a Tuesday, I think, and on the next Sunday he picked up a fumble and took it back yep. like 40, 50, 60 yards. The other way to the house, yeah. In typical Desmond fashion. So, Pretty yeah, good. and yeah, that's uh, – gosh, you're right. It's so funny how that works some ways. Like, for a long time, it was the Broncos and the Texans. Yeah. Then it was the and Texans was a, and the Eagles. Yeah, Texans and Eagles, and, not, and now it's the Texans and the Titans and, and some – in some sense. And there have probably been others that have been jettisoned along the way that, that ended up there, got a look, but didn't stick um, because Rabel has, has experience. Um, I was a little surprised that they didn't pick up um, uh, Bernardrick McKinney when Bernardrick was released at the beginning of the year, waived by the uh, Miami Dolphins, but ended up with the Giants and is uh, starting to do some things for the Giants. So good for BMAC. But yeah, Vrabel is, you know, you talk about that, if you told me that a team was going to do it, I would say, you know, the Titans have an opportunity to do it because they have a guy like Vrabel who doesn't think he should lose to anybody in anything. You know, Vrabel would go one-on-one with Michael Jordan and think he could beat him in one-on-one. Um, I mean, that's, you know, he could go out on the, on the golf links with Tiger Woods and feel like, you know what, I'm going to find a way to beat Tiger a couple of these holes. We, hey, saw him in, we saw him in 17 at the uh, Greenbrier when he was the defensive coordinator playing Foursquare. With yeah. Shane Bowen and the rest of and JJ Watt, and right, the rest of that defensive right. line, yeah, and winning, yeah, and DJ winning, Reader. and yep. then hating it when he lost, yeah, unbelievable. Back on the Quattro Network, those were fun times. Yeah. All right, we got to wrap this up. This is a short one, and then just for the record, Ben Jones started ten games as a rookie at right guard. Thirteen, he didn't play too much. Right. In fourteen, he started just about every game at left guard, and then yes. ever since fifteen on, he's been a starter at center. So. He's played all three interior positions. That's and he started a lot of games. That's a, that's a valuable guy. Valuable guy. He's not a not like not a pro bowler like you said, but if you could start for that long in the NFL, you are good. So, yep, no yeah. doubt, one of our favorite Texans ever, and the Funny. best camouflage suit you've ever seen. Yeah, salute and luggage to go with it. Good stuff. This has been an in the lab. John's always fun talking with you, my man. All right, brother. We start that in the lab podcast. Uh, probably, I don't know. Probably about. F- three or four years in to my stay with the Texans. I think it was maybe like 2018 or so. And Drew and I were just doing some radio together. And we realized we started like to geek out about a few things. And that's where we came up with the name in the lab. Like we were scientists, podcast scientists, and we got involved with God knows what beakers and all that kind of stuff. And through some experiments together. So what if you could take a, offensive guard and merge him with a defensive safety what kind of player would you come up with like that was the kind of stuff we've always talked about it was just nothing but experiments and stuff and 
and evolved and has evolved into we talk about games, we talk about connections. I I want to say that we missed Dylan Cole. I could be totally wrong in that. I think we may have missed Dylan Cole. I, I could be wrong, but I know he had a hit for a fumble um, last week against the New Orleans Saints. So I think he's up with the roster, the 53-man roster, and he looks he looks good, and I'm glad for him. He just couldn't stay healthy here. But, man, you could tell the makings of a really good football player were there. He just couldn't stay healthy. So, uh, yeah, there were a lot of connections and a lot of connections between these two, and obviously we spent some time talking about Ben Jones, uh, who we will see on Saturday, and it always just – it saddens me to see those bare feet every Sunday, twice a year that we play, and of course walking on the field with Titans gear on. Ugh. Anyhow, all right, we get back. We got a lot to finish up with. Injury report came out. One transaction was made, affected the practice squad for the most part, and maybe some other things we caught up on. We'll catch up on that around the league. We'll do all that next in our final segment of Texans All Access. We've got one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and it's time for the Schlumberger Stats Challenge presented by Schlumberger. Visit HoustonTexans.com to learn more about the Schlumberger Stats Challenge. So I did math. So here are your stats. It's actually a number, 55 point six percent now that could be that could be a lot of things but to me what it represents is five out of nine if you shoot three pointers five out of nine 55.6 percent you will be uh the greatest three-point shooter of all time if you shoot free throws at five out of nine um yeah it's a struggle two-point field goals in basketball you know, anything inside the arc, which doesn't happen a whole lot, 55.6 is pretty good. I mean, it's pretty good. 55.6% of turnovers created in one game versus the number you had in a full season is outstanding. And what I mean by that is the Texans had five turnovers generated on Sunday against the Dolphins or two Sundays ago against the Dolphins. Five. In 2020, they had nine total turnovers. Five turnovers in one game, nine in a season. Five out of nine is 55.6%. 55.6% of the entire season's worth the Texans recorded in one game. That is your Schlumberger Stats Challenge for the evening. All right, let's get to the injury report. We didn't get a chance to get to this a little bit earlier. And there was only one DMP that was Hardy Nickerson still dealing with that concussion. Limited participants, Danny Amadola, Rex Burkhead, Brandon Cooks, not injury-related. Did see him out at practice today, but they were limited participants. Farrell Brown, Thigh, Jonathan Grenard dealing with a foot issue, and hopefully those guys are going to be okay. But they were both limited practice. The Titans got a little bit more banged up. Now, obviously, they played last week. But guard, starting guard, Nate Davis, concussion. Starting outside linebacker, Bud Dupree, knee. Chris Jackson, a key uh, secondary member, a foot. David Long, starting linebacker, hamstring. And Jeremy McNichols, one of the ball carriers for the Titans, a concussion. They were all DNPs today. 
Sean Evans, Harold Landry, Greg Mabin, Kyle Petko, Jeffrey Simmons, Tier Tart. Key guys, I think all of them. Those guys are all limited participants in practice. The ones, obviously, to keep an eye on are one, two, four, three starters, and then two players, two key players were DMPs for the Titans. We already know that Julio Jones and Derrick Henry will not be in this game because they have been placed on IR, so they will not be in this game. Means you'll face Jeremy McNichols if he plays. You'll face Adrian Peterson and Deontay Foreman in the backfield. Um, and then we've Ben Jones, the number of guys we've already talked about. So it's a Titans group that's a little bit banged up. A.J. Brown, as Jim Wyatt mentioned, has been dealing with a number of things off the field, and hopefully uh, he's going to be okay. His mental health um, is going to uh, improve is the best way of saying it, is going to improve. And hopefully uh, those are things that he has an opportunity to deal with. Um, and the NFL and the Titans will help him uh, with that situation. But it's a team that's not quite 100%. However, if Jeffrey Simmons is healthy, yeesh. Kevin Byard's healthy, oh, man. You're talking about arguably one of the best safeties in the league. Jeffrey Simmons is one of the top five, maybe top three, defensive linemen in the league. Taylor Luan's there. He's one of the top tackles in the league. Look, there's enough talent there in Tennessee. Um, I don't think they're going to cry too much in their beer without uh, or having to go without some of the players that we've already mentioned. But I know they envisioned an offense led by Derrick Henry with the opportunity to throw a play action from Ryan Tannehill to Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. Uh, and right now, that's, that's not happening for them. However, the Titans aren't losing. The Titans are not losing. They went 2-2 two and two to start this year, and you thought, hmm, Okay, maybe this thing is going a different direction. They lost to the Jets. They lost to the Jets. And from that point forward, they have won six in a row. Six in a row. That's the role that they are on. So there's your injury report. We'll talk about the game. We'll talk more about it tomorrow night with John McClain from the Houston Chronicle. Mark Vandermeer, of course. We'll also do it on Friday. I'll give you my keys to the game. Uh, make all of our predictions presented by Caesars Rewards. we got a lot to do the rest of the week, but I appreciate you guys for being here. DP Sidhu, Jim Wyatt, Mark Vandermeer, Mike Keith, Drew Doherty, Nick Casario, David Cully, all of you, thank you so much. We'll see you next time, and as always, go Texans.